Hello, this is Jane Sigford bringing you Views and Voice Above the Noise, a podcast hosted by MASA, Minnesota Association of School Administrators. Today's interview is with Patty Phillips, a retired superintendent who currently is a consultant for a search firm. She discusses such topics as the hard but rewarding aspects of being a superintendent, women's style of leadership, is it really different from that of men, the work of a search firm, and words of advice for those aspiring to the position of superintendent. Her career path was both common and uncommon. As a young woman, she thought she would be a psychologist, but her counselor advised her to become a nurse or teacher. Nursing was not her thing, so she became a teacher. Like many women in her generation, as her children were born, she took time to be home with them. Then she became a nursery school teacher, kindergarten teacher, curriculum professional development, employee, principalship, and then a superintendency. Plus, as a retiree, she still wants to give back to the profession, so she works as a consultant with a search firm. Her path was uncommon in that her initial teaching role was in early childhood and kindergarten. Although the largest percentage of teachers are elementary teachers, it is not common for elementary teachers to become superintendents. I asked her about some of her biggest learnings in her role as superintendent. Patty uses quotes a lot to illustrate her points. She likes Brene Brown, and another quote she likes is one by George Herbert, the poet, who says, a dwarf on a giant's shoulders sees further of the two. This is a Brene Brown quote. I love Brene Brown. Who we are is how we lead. I think everything goes back to your story, my story, and who I am. And oftentimes, right now I work with School Exec Connect, and we do searches for predominantly superintendents, but other administrative positions as well. And sometimes when someone, particularly a female, will want to converse after perhaps they haven't gotten a position, but they've come close, wondering what it is. I just feel you can't change who you are and what you are, and who we are is how we lead. That school board has to want who you are. So being authentic and genuine, everybody isn't going to want who you are, but you still have to be true to who you are. I read a lot of leadership books, and I was thinking there was one I read called Nice Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office. And when I read that book, there are 13 things that I do that you never should do. Don't poll people before making a decision. I'm the queen of polling. Don't share too much personal information. And I'm getting better at that. Don't feed others. I cook and bake for just about every meeting. Don't talk too fast. Don't sit on your foot. I'm the queen of sitting on my foot. Don't take notes. I take copious notes. If I'm at a, even now that I'm retired, I go to something, I'm writing down everything somebody says so I can then teach it and get the facts accurately. Don't get coffee for people. Don't use touchy-feely language. Don't be over-animated. I mean, you name them, I have them all. I was a right fit for the school board in Virginia, and I was a right fit for the school board in North St. Paul, Maplewood, Oakdale. So when I put myself on somebody's shoulders, I look at those six board members in Virginia and those seven board members in North St. Paul, Maplewood, Oakdale. And I thank them for seeing something in me that maybe I didn't always see in myself. That being said, 
One cannot always do what is comfortable because we all have to learn to use multiple styles to cope with the varied issues that arise. You have to be who you are, but you have to live your own values, is what I mean, and never be silent about the hard things. That's a piece of it, too. The hardest part of being a superintendent for me is the tough work that I had to do, the really courageous work, the courageous conversations that I had to have. When you look at my four-color leadership or my Myers-Briggs, I am green. It means I'm a feeler, I'm passionate, I'm a motivator, I'm a cheerleader. I want to be the one that's with everybody else. I'm in a social group. I want to be liked. When you all of a sudden are the CEO and your financial bottom line is is a million in the hole when I went into North St. Paul, Maplewood, Oakdale, there was no fund balance. When I w went into Virginia, we were almost going to have a, a strike and we were 100,000 in the hole, which is like a million in the hole in North St. Paul, where Chuck Spiker from the MDE calls you every day and tells you your district has no money. Then you have to do things that aren't all touchy-feely and rah-rah, I'm an enthusiastic cheerleader. You have to have a strategic roadmap that clearly articulates the path you're on financially, academically, if your academic standards aren't where they need to be or your student achievement isn't where it needs to be. And you have to call people to task sometimes and do really challenging things. So I say who you are is how we lead. There comes the angst and the stress as a leader for me and for many people because if I just want to be this happy talk person and I really want to be the best leader I can be for that school district, we're, we're going to have some friction there. You're going to get kicked in the, um, in the rear once in a while because you're doing things that are stirring the pot. And stirring the pot was often necessary when you do the right thing for kids. It was difficult, but it's almost like I didn't have a choice because I looked at those 11,000 kids in North St. Paul, Maplewood, Oakdale. We owed it to them. I looked at Virginia when the bottom line was, it was more money issues in Virginia, the academics and the achievement that was there. But, but the, the challenges we had were uh, financially. There wasn't enough money to do justice to those kids. So then you fight and you go out and you do things and you advocate for those things. It's like Martin Luther King said, there's a time when silence is betrayal. You have to speak out and you have to be an advocate for those students and their families and for your staff. What did you learn as a superintendent that is helpful in your role now as a consultant for a search firm? Leadership matters. I know the qualities. I know what makes good leaders. I'm able to see the path that I was on, the positive things that happened, how important communication is, how important relationships are, how important being where the game is played is. There was a day where you could be an administrator and you sit in your office. You need to be out where the game is out in those classrooms and out with people. People need to know when you're a search consultant, you bring in people that are you believe are qualified and are the best fit for what that district is looking for. The process in bringing forward candidates for a superintendency is very extensive and time consuming. Could you describe it? We do a process at School Exec Connect. It's almost like a mini strategic plan 
where you talk to usually over at least 100, 200 stakeholders in small groups. We meet for several days with them and we ask them, what are the strengths in this district right now? Then we ask them, what are the challenges? What do you see the goals being for the next five years? What are the characteristics that you're looking for in the next leader that you feel would help be helpful to this leader to be able to address the challenges and meet these goals? From that, we craft about 14 qualities, 12 to 14 qualities, key characteristics that we're looking for in the next leader. And then we match that with the candidates that are out there. And we meet with candidates, and just like you're asking me questions now, we ask them, we interview them, look at their history, talk to people about them, and then bring a pool of candidates from whom the board will decide. And every district, it's a little different. And the board always has the final say. I've never been in a search where they've turned down anybody that we've presented, but I'm sure, you know, it has probably happened. But we really vet them carefully. How many possible candidates do you bring forward? Six or seven. We usually wean that down to two or three finalists that then have all-day interviews. And then in the all-day interviews, there would be constituent groups. There would be administrators, teachers, support staff, parents, community leaders. So it's a, I call it a, like a 13-hour sale. <laughs> it, usually it's about 12 to 13 hours of inter- each group interviews for an hour. Those groups give feedback back to the board about the candidates. How did you decide to become a consultant? When I retired, Kendra Seth and Tony Johns, again, whispered in my ear, asked me if I would be interested. And I said, no, I'm not going to do anything for six months except enjoy retirement. And then actually Charlie Kite called me and asked me if I would be interested. And he was starting a search firm. I told him the same thing, that I'm not going to do anything for six months. After about six months of enjoying this beautiful lake vermilion i decided that maybe doing a little something would be fun interesting and give back something to the profession and use the skills and things that i'd accumulated over the years started doing it about maybe three and a half years ago and i called ken and tony back because they had called me first and then i started working with them and i just thoroughly enjoy it The process you described earlier is intense and time-consuming. How much time do you actually think you spend on a search? I don't do a ton of searches, but they all take a lot of time. You spend time in the district. When you leave a district after you've done this, the focus groups, I feel like I've worked in the district. I feel like I really know it inside and out. And then after that, you put it all together at home, bring the report to the board, and you have online surveys as well that you, and then you go out and you find candidates that meet the profile. That takes a lot of time. Oh, I don't even want to, I don't even want to count because it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. You spend time there with the interviews process. You will inter, you go to all the interviews. So when they interview the six finalists, you're at those. And then you're the three all-day interviews that there. So you spend a couple of weeks in the vicinity of where the search is toward the end. But a lot of the work in the beginning is in your own home or out and about. 
As a consultant, what is your goal as you look for candidates? I want to get strong leaders in every single school district. I think it's the most important work of a school board. Those of us that have worked in the field know what good looks like. By the time you've been 30 years in education and you've interviewed how many people, you can gauge authenticity, you can look at resumes, you you have a trusting pool of people that will tell you the honest truth when you call and make reference calls, that will tell you. You know what questions to ask. You can ensure that districts get a leader that they're going to absolutely love, and there's nothing more rewarding. I just went to a banquet here up in northern Minnesota. Three boards were represented where I had done the search. Board members came from all three boards to just tell me how tickled they were with the superintendents that were in their districts. And there's nothing better than that. Nothing. You say you look for strong leaders. What does that mean? What is a strong leader? Willing to blow a certain trumpet. (laughs) Willing to do what they have to do to make that district as strong as it can be. Courageous. One of the superintendents hired in the district where I worked for 20 years in Virginia, Minnesota. Noelle Schmidt came into that position through a search through School Exec Connect. They just passed a hundred and eighty some million dollar bond and they are going to be working in partnership with Eveleth Gilbert and Virginia are going to be collaborating and they're building a joint high school together in not in Eveleth and not in Virginia out on the highway and if somebody had told me that when I was in high school that this could be done I would say they were crazy that took courage and that took 90 community meetings they had so all the stakeholders were informed a groundswell of parent and student support that just tickles me to no end to see the enthusiasm a lot of hard work and a lot of passion And it was believing the right thing for kids. In order to have the same kind of offerings that you have in the metro, you need bodies, you need funding. So getting districts to work together and collaborate is huge, needs to be done. To have successfully done it, that's leadership. The Iron Range has been known for their support of their schools and their pride in their schools. Do you think that was part of the reason they were able to get this collaboration accomplished? Oh, absolutely. That's fundamental. And also, we've got to credit the legislature because there are dollars earmarked to support collaboration and or consolidation. Those two C words. There were IRRRB dollars involved in this, but the community has to be willing to do it as well, or there are no dollars. I don't know if you've been in any of the facilities up here. I mean, there are marble floors, auditoriums that are rival the Ordway. Beautiful facilities. And to be able to have a community realize that for today's education, we need facilities that will meet our needs and personalized learning and all the things that we need to do. They're going to start an academy program. All of that, you need facilities that you aren't spending an arm and a leg on renovating, heating, I mean, the boiler systems, the tuck pointing, I mean, they're very expensive to run. The buildings are beautiful, but they really need a lot of upkeep. You talked about looking for strong leaders in your search process. 
What are boards looking for? I will tell you, I looked quickly at the last nine, the nine searches I did. We look for the best candidate. We look for a diverse pool of candidates, female, male, race, just like to bring a good pool, a rich pool. Out of nine, the last nine superintendent searches I worked on, this current superintendent, uh, two were females and seven had males. So that's a 22% female out of those searches, 78% male. When those searches concluded, three now have females and six have males. So it's 33% females and 67% male. But two of those were metro females who re were replaced by males. But we gained three females in northern Minnesota who replaced males. And those females were the first females in their district. I was the first female on the Iron Range, first female superintendent on the Iron Range. I was the first female superintendent in North St. Paul, Maplewood, Oakdale. These three women that were placed in northern Minnesota are all the first females. So it's, and it's not like I am pushing that school boards must hire females. They must hire the best candidates. We try to bring them a pool that best meets the profile of what they're looking for. Sometimes it's somebody because they're in a financial bind, they need to be strong. Number one comes out strong fiscal management and experience. Not always. But most of the time, myself included, females don't gravitate toward the financial end of things. Not all, but and, and that's changing. But I know for myself, that was my excuse why I don't think I ever want a superintendency. I'm not interested in all that financial piece of the job. When we look, we look for what is it they're looking for in the profile. Sometimes it's finances. Sometimes it's our curriculum and our achievement. And many times now it's relationships because they're realizing that without strong relationships, if there isn't that strong, social, personable, friendly, out there with the community, open door policy, uh, easy to communicate with, authentic, genuine, transparent, we get a lot of that. Trust is huge. Strong communicator. When the search is screaming, strong communicator, personable, out with the community, we're looking for a person like that. But we try to bring enough applicants that meet that profile. And we try to also make certain that we get them according to gender, race. When you bring forward a slate of diverse candidates, do you ever know why or why not that certain people are hired? You just don't know why. You know, you bring in a candidate pool that's rich and diverse. The successful candidate isn't sometimes the one that you were thinking they, it was going to be. That you happens. Do you have difficulty finding a diverse pool of candidates in this state? That's why we work so many hours trying to do that, yes. Do you ever go out state and bring Oh, yes. People? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But that takes a lot of vetting. Yes, we absolutely do. We have 60 consultants in the Midwest. We have lots of resources. Some people who have moved here, not necessarily superintendents, have said it's hard to break into Minnesota socially because a lot of people 
stay here for life, they still hang out with their high school classmates. Do you find that it's difficult for superintendents from outstate to feel comfortable here and feel like they belong? It depends on the person. I, I can think of a lot of people that have moved here from elsewhere and have been happy and flourished. Okay. That's very individual. Do you see a difference between large and small districts, urban and suburban and rural districts in what they want as a superintendent? Large districts think maybe they want something different than what they really do want. Example, if you are a district uh, superintendent in a small district, it's difficult to get a position in a larger district. It, this isn't just our industry, it's every industry. You think, so you've been a fish in a small pond. How could you ever make the jump to a larger pond? Go back and circle and answer your question. I think everybody's looking for the same thing. Everybody's looking for someone that's passionate about that district, has that district tattooed on their heart, cares about the staff deeply, cares about those kids, cares about the families, and will work very hard to make it the best place, the most inviting place in town, and the place where kids are really learning and thriving and feel emotionally connected. Well, I think everybody wants the same thing, but small districts, because sometimes people don't want to come to small, rural, outstate districts, need to find people with those qualities and perhaps move up from a principalship to a superintendency or sometimes an assistant superintendency to a superintendency. It's rare that you get a sitting superintendent that will come to a small district, a rural district. Whereas it used to be that the Metro always wanted a superintendent to come to a superintendent, to their, you know, we can get a superintendent. No, very often you will get an assistant superintendent. Occasionally, you will even get a principal that will go into a metro district. But they have to have had a track record that's pretty dazzling. And there are several of those, I could tell you, that have done it and done it very successfully. But boards seem to think they want someone that's already done the job. And that's we sometimes have to let them know that assistants have done the work. Um, oftentimes and are, are ready for the position. We've had huge success. Are the issues different in schools based on where they are, size, wealth, etc.? We all have the same issues. If you, you name the most wealthy suburb, there are a lot of people that wouldn't trade their positions for that position because of the issues that are inherent there. I don't care where you are, you have issues. You have issues of haves and have-nots. You have issues of people that expect to be treated differently. White supremacy, I mean, you have all kinds of issues, no matter where you are. There are race issues, there are gender issues, there are economic issues. There are people that want to be, have gone to school and they want to run the district. We all are experts in school. A lot of places that you think are Camelot, if you actually work there, aren't. Mm. We all have our work cut out for us. Because I've been in poor districts financially. Our St. Paul, Maplewood, Oakdale was a million in the hole when I took over. 
Virginia, as I said, was 100,000 in the hole, which is like a million in the hole. I always envied those wealthier districts, saying it must just be like Camelot to work there. It seems like Camelot from the outside, but when you go in, we all have the same issues. We have kids that are disenfranchised. We have kids that are having trouble learning. We have parents that are angry because they had a poor school experience. We have bullying. We have huge mental health issues in every district. Nobody's immune. The, the work is tough. The work is tough for all of us, but oh, so rewarding. Let's talk a little bit about the differences, or if there are differences, between the ways women and men approach the superintendency. Earlier you mentioned that women seem to shy away from some of the financial end of being a superintendent. And you also mentioned the need and the strong need for the ability to build relationships. Is there one or the other that's more important? Or that boards are looking for more frequently? You need both. I have told people that nine times out of ten, you're going to have a a fabulous business manager that you're going to work with, but you want to know enough so you know that things are the way they need to be because the buck stops with you. There are as many men, maybe, don't love finance as much as women don't. good example of my husband and I, if there are 14 qualifications for a position, I will beat myself up on the one that I think and that maybe I haven't nailed. I know I can kind of do 12 of these, but these two I'm not so sure. My husband, on the other hand, and I think we're fairly normal people most of the time, but he will always think he can do all of them. And I'll say, well, you're, you don't really even like this. When have you done this? Oh, and I think it's more a head game for us than a certificate. I think you need to realize that if you are conscientious, if you are a driven person that wants to do a good job, you're going to get your nose in that budget because you can't do anything without money. And you're going to make sure you know about it. And if you've been a principal, you can read the, those sheets. And Or if you've been a curriculum director or a, a staff development director, you know it all comes down to money. You've looked at grants. You've got money coming in, money going out. You know the bottom line. That's what you need to know. I mean, it's not rocket science. I know, I don't think they need any special courses. They just need a little boost of confidence and someone to whisper in their ear. You've got it all, and you can do it. I've tried to do that throughout my career, is tell women, and don't change who you are. You've got it all. You can do it. Some people have suggested that we should have support groups to boost people's confidence, and they might be well-served to be male or female, but then there are other people who feel that they should be mixed. First, do you think that support groups are a benefit for all of our superintendents because the job is difficult? And if so, do you think that the groups should be single sex or mixed? I think we all need it. I was in one uh, for, I think, my entire 10 years in North St. Paul, Maplewood, Oakdale. Men and women. They're my best buds. And we called it a S-O-U-P, soup cadre. We didn't meet as much in the summer, but we would meet about once a month for a supper. You would host it, you'd take a turn hosting it, and probably once a year then, maybe you'd host it, maybe once every other year. I think there were eight of us. It was a group that you can tell each other everything and anything, totally confidential. We'd throw our problem in the center and brainstorm and support each other. It was just an amazing group.
I can't say enough good about it. I think everybody needs it, but I don't think it should be gender specific. Some people feel that men and women lead differently. What do you think? I think there's different styles of leadership between women and women and men and men. <laughs> that's what I think. I think it's individual. I really do. I think that's why that book I referenced earlier is just stereotypical. There are a lot of qualities of men that I've worked with that I wished I had. Like? Oh, it seems like nothing ruffles them. They're determined. They're confident. They never let you see them sweat. They speak more slowly than I do. I said I was going to speak slowly today. Where did that go? <laughs> but I'm pretty transparent. You know, I'd like to not show my feelings quite as much as I do, and I've gotten better at that. But I think we're all different. I think there are women who have qualities that I admire, that I wish I had, and there are men that have too. That's a tough question. But I know we're typically enthusiastic and passionate and warm and friendly and all of those things and maternal and that's why we went into education we like to take care of people and homespun and cozy and mom and apple pie <laughs> and we're not that kind of business manager ducks in a row but I'm ducks in a row too it's just the ducks get messy sometimes and I put them back in a row Chris Bruner, former professor at the University of Minnesota, posited in her book that men use power over and women use power with. What's your response to that? I agree with her 100%. I feel like I want to get us all to work together, and I feel any power I ever had was because I shared it. Always. Always. I poll people before I make any decision. I ask everybody everything. And I feel like even with the boards, school boards, I never expected I was going to always have a 7-0 vote, but I always knew they had enough information that I hoped they would do the right thing. Here's, here's how we got to this decision. More information than you'll ever know, and over-communicating. And I think when you do that, I know I had a board member that got elected because his perception was that all the votes were 7-0 and that I was just top-down running things he was able to see that what we tried to do is bring in as many constituents and stakeholders and people in with every decision and bring all the research to the board. Here's, here's this, 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 and here's why we think this would be the best. What do you think? And oftentimes things would pass. Not, not all the time, but most of the time we would have unanimous decisions. And again, not all the time. And it doesn't need to be all the time because I was never that forceful top-down leader. I was a collaborative leader, and I think Chris is absolutely 100% correct. Whether it's conscious or not, do you think there are ways that men and women are subtly expected to lead or behave differently? I also think the women that I've met that were not collaborative are taken to task for it, and I don't think they should be. Oh, you know, she's so aggressive. She's way too strong. She's way too this or that. Actually, they're being like a lot of men just are. So it's almost like a can't win. There was a job that I applied for that I didn't get. It was not a superintendency. It was a position with another organization. 
and the first round interview went really well and I was feeling really well and then it, I think it was the final interview I came home and I said to my husband I'm the vibe was that I was gonna get this job it felt so good after the second interview I, I don't think I'm gonna get the job he said why and I said well they asked me you know people say you're a good leader and you do just all these amazing things and blah 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 but are you tough enough for this job how do you answer a question like that? And I tried to, to show all the things, how we were a million in the hole, and then we had a $25 million fund balance, and how achievement was here, and now here's achievement. How I went to study Bloomington and saw what they were doing, and we raised our achievement, and we have our principals, our instructional leaders, and all the hard work and things we'd done, and done it all without being top-down, did it collaboratively. And I tried to explain that those are tough things to raise achievement. Those are tough things to raise the fund balance. Those are tough things to etc. etc. I didn't get the job. I went and asked on the interview team, where I believe the final interview team had four men on it and two women. And I found one of the women and I asked her, I just have to ask you, the other candidate, was the other candidate asked if he was tough enough for the job? Was he? No. I've often wondered if the structure of our schools is inherently biased toward the traditional male style of leadership. We have a hierarchy and it's definitely top down with the superintendent having the final authority. What if instead that we had a cabinet and the superintendent that were basically equal partners the superintendent would have to have the legal authority to sign documents, but the other cabinet members such as finance and HR and curriculum would all be equal partners, so the responsibility is more diluted, plus which there's more opportunity for equal collaboration. Do you think that that would be a help and more conducive to collaborative styles of leadership? Well, I would agree with you. One of my school board members at North St. Paul Maple at Oakdale, after she'd worked with me for years, she said, you're sort of a pit bull that wears lipstick. And I really wasn't, but I sort of was, because I almost had to be. Because when you have to do the tough work that you have to do, I would rather go home and hide under my bed than to do some of that. But outwardly, it looked like, because I had to fit that in order to do this hard work. So I think you're absolutely right that I would come home and say what I had to do, tell males, maybe in my soup cadre, they had to do the same type of things, but I don't think they had the angst I had doing it. That's what causes stress. I started with who we are is how we lead. Well, you have to give up a little of who you are. You remember I started with four-year-olds and three-year-olds, and then I was in the kindergarten classroom. You know, we share, we have cookies and milk in the afternoon. That just fit me perfectly. And then an elementary principal, the best job in the world. And then all of a sudden, I have to put on my big girl pants and be this superintendent. You know, you're a hundred and a thousand in the hole, you're a million in the hole. Achievement isn't where it's going to be. They're mad about this coach. This is happening here. You've had a double murder-suicide. You've got mental health issues. You've got not enough help in the classrooms. You've got all this to deal with. I can't just bring out cookies and milk to solve the problem. 
I've got to get that business head on me. I've got to get directive sometimes. It's a, you know, being a leader, you got to use know what golf club to use. What, what am I going to use? Am I going to chip in or do I have to use whatever? And there were times that I had to be more top down than I ever want to be. But I think you need to be both. But, and that's for me, the stress of the superintendency was when I had to be that tough person that I didn't really want to have to be. AASA did this study in 2017, and I think it came out with uh, 13,728 superintendents, only 14% were women. They said there were a lot of whys. They're not getting their credentials. They're not as experienced or interested in the district's fiscal management. They're poorly positioned. They're not in positions like you had of the high school principalship, which will lend itself to being a superintendent easier. Personal reasons, the night meetings, the sporting events, all the things they have to do. School boards are reluctant to hire women because most of them, this was AAS, they said, still has a majority of men on the boards. Women enter education for different purposes. I wanted to hold hands and have cookies and milk and be another mother to these little dumplings. And then women enter too late. Okay. I think some of that is changing now because this younger generation, they're, they're staying working. They don't think they have to stay home and be cooking pies and rearing kids. Not all of them. Many will go out and work because they need to have two incomes in order to survive. So some of that will change. If we want more women to come in, we have to be more appealing to more women. So if we did change the structure and the cabinet members were more on an equal par, less stress, more collaboration opportunities, uh, shared leadership, shared responsibility. Would you like to work in such an organization? That's how it should be. And I think it is in some places. Where? Well, maybe it's not so you could uh, written that way or in the job descriptions, but if you're truly a collaborative leader, you don't make a decision without the business manager, your assistant superintendents, a good cabinet, that's how it functions. The job security is still with the superintendent. Why didn't you start this? Start this, get it going, honey. First of all, women aren't into power anyway, most women. I would love that system. Being an educator really isn't a job. It's really a, a calling. And there are people like Patty who... I come alive when I'm in a school. Consequently, she has advice for aspiring superintendents, for new superintendents, for longtime practicing superintendents. I, I look at not being afraid to ask people for help or when you've got a situation, asking others to help you. And I love Renee Brown taking stock now and saying whose opinions matter. Because when, you, when you're in the limelight, you're the top of the heap here and they're throwing rotten tomatoes at you, whose opinion really matters? And I think making a list of who are those people that you take their feedback because they're your heroes and their opinion matters to you. And I think you need to have a group of those people. And for me, it was that soup cadre because otherwise it's very easy for the people to throw things at you and criticize you, I think, in these positions. We, we all need constructive criticism, but we need to remember when you're in the arena, you're not going to win. You know, whether it's canceling school or keeping it open 
or making a recommendation that an employee has to be laid off or terminated. All those things are huge, hard decisions, and you only do them after you have a lot of information that the person throwing the tomatoes at you doesn't have. I wish people would understand that it is such an exciting role. It is an amazing opportunity to make a difference in a school district and make a difference for students and make a difference for staff. So often we don't understand the variety that comes with it, the interpersonal relationships that you build. I'm so glad that I said yes. I really wasn't going to say yes. Patty's pearl of wisdom is say yes. Have the courage to say yes. You, with change, uh, change always comes bearing gifts. The rewards are, are many. If you went into education because you want to make a difference, which most of us is the reason we go into it, being a leader, whether it be a curriculum leader, a staff development leader, an assistant superintendent, a principal, or a superintendent, or a school board member, you can make a huge difference in your community, and it's so rewarding. Say yes. This is Jane Sigford signing off. Thank you for listening. If you have any comments for me, my email is jlsigford at comcast.net. And I leave you with another one of Patty's pearls. Say yes. Say yes.